ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا وسيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد So this is obviously the first gathering in a long time for this particular class. We began Kashf al-Shubuhat a while ago, maybe 10, 15, 20 lessons into it. But it's been a lengthy period of time. So initially what we will have to do is recap what we've done so far to briefly go over all of the notes up until the section we arrived at so that everything is refreshed and then we'll be able to move on from that point insha'Allah. So Kashf al-Shubuhat, this particular book, one of the great books of a shaykh Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab rahimahullah ta'ala who can tell us why this book was written why did a shaykh muhammad ibn abdul wahhab rahimahullah ta'ala write this book today will be a test of everything we've done so far so we should all know why this book was written what the background to that was Can anyone tell us what the background was and why he wrote this book? In refutation to the people who say this is uh, the prayer, the graves are okay. And uh, initially, this is a refutation to the Kitab al-Tawheed. The people refutated to the Kitab al-Tawheed. In refutation to that, So at the time of a Sheikh Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab, at that time in the Arabian Peninsula, there was a lot of widespread shirk occurring in terms of people going to the graves, people seeking intercession from the dead. A lot of those types of activities were occurring at that time. And so a Sheikh Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab had been refuting those types of activities, had been clarifying to the people the impermissibility of the types of activities that they were doing and that these activities are shirk and going to the graves and the deceased and those types of intercession that all of these affairs are affairs of shirk. When he clarified all of those points, there were some from amongst al-muta'allimin, those who claimed to have knowledge. And there are many who claim to have knowledge. There were some from the claimants of knowledge who disputed the position of the sheikh. And they began rebuking him saying that your position on intercession and 
seeking from the deceased and this and that. It is incorrect. And they brought forth a selection of doubts to try and rebuke the position of the sheikh. They brought forth doubts to try and explain and justify why it was okay to seek intercession from the dead and the likes of those activities. When they brought forth these doubts and began spreading them amongst the people, the sheikh then refuted those doubts of theirs. And that is what we have. Kashfu shubuhat, the exposition, the refutation of those doubts. They were bringing doubts upon the da'wah of the sheikh, saying that the sheikh is making takfir of the Muslims and is declaring them to be non-Muslims. They began bringing doubts. And what is a doubt? Exactly. A doubt, shubuhat, it is something which may even have an element of truth in it, or it at least resembles the truth. It looks like it's true. That's why it becomes a doubt. If something is blatantly wrong, then it cannot be a doubt. If I say to you, there is no water in this bottle, have I created a doubt in your minds? Clearly not, because you can all see there is water in the bottle. I have created no doubt. But a doubt is something where the possibility of it being correct can occur to the mind of the person. There may be some truth that revolves around it, maybe within it even. And so that's what they were doing. They were bringing maybe ayat of the Qur'an, maybe a hadith from the sunnah, maybe other examples and qiyas. They were bringing things that looked like legitimate evidences to try and justify calling upon the dead, doing intercession with the deceased. So when the commoners looked at these things, they were now doubts. It's an ayah. And the ayah does seem to be saying X, Y, and Z. It's a hadith. And this hadith does seem to be saying X, Y, and Z. And that's where the doubts then arose. And that's where a Shaykh Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab, rahimahullah ta'ala, then exposed those doubts. And that is not something new. That has been occurring throughout time, throughout the centuries, that the scholars have been exposing the doubts. The doubts of the people of innovation, the doubts of the misguided ones in aqidah, in names and attributes, in other affairs. The scholars have been exposing their doubts because when the people of innovation come to you, they will, those educated amongst them, they will bring to you ayat of the Qur'an. 
and say this ayah, look at it, it is saying X, Y, and Z, and that's what we are saying, it proves our aqidah. And this hadith is saying such and such, and that's what we say, look, it proves our aqidah. That's how the doubts are made, and the scholars have been refuting and rebuking those doubts of the innovators and the misguided ones throughout the centuries. And so as Shaykh Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab did exactly that in this book. There were doubts that the people had brought upon his da'wah. Doubts where they were trying to use certain evidences and justifications and explanations to prove it's okay to do intercession, to seek from the dead, to do this, to do that. And so the Shaykh refuted those doubts in this book. That's why the scholars have mentioned that this book is one of the fundamental books to study. One of the fundamental books to learn, to memorize, to understand. Because within it are the principles of understanding how to refute these types of doubts that the people of innovation bring. So that was the background to this particular book. At the beginning of it, he had mentioned, "Alam rahimak Allah. Know may Allah have mercy upon you. And this is from the etiquette of the Shaykh, that he does this regularly in his various books. He makes dua for the readers, makes dua for the students of knowledge, indicating his sincerity, that he genuinely wants the people to understand and to comprehend. He even used to write, or he wrote, one of his books at least, if not more, in slang. Because some of the people did not understand proper eloquent Arabic. So he wrote, ثَلَاثَةُ usul, The three fundamental principles in slang Arabic, so that the commoners could understand showing his genuine desire for the people to understand the truth and to comprehend the truth. So he said, اعلم رحمك الله أن التوحيد هو إفراد الله بالعبادة وهو دين الرسل الذي أرسل الله به إلى عباده وأرسلهم الله به إلى عباده No that Tawheed is to single out Allah with your worship. This is the basis of our religion, the foundation of our religion, to single out Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with worship. And that is the purpose we have been created for. All the time you hear them talking, and you hear them saying, what is the great mystery of our existence on this earth? What is the purpose of our being here? The greater question that none of us can answer, apparently. And they have not understood that Islam has answered this question. Allah has answered this question and informed us of the greater purpose of our existence and our being here, and that is in the Qur'an, وَمَا خَلَقْتُ الْجِنَّ وَالْإِنسَ إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُونَ 
Allah told us that He did not create the jinn or the humans except for them to worship Him. And then Allah sent all of the prophets and the messengers with guidance. Allah didn't just create us and put us on this earth to worship Him without telling us how to worship Him. Allah told us how to then worship Him by sending the guidance, sending the prophets and the messengers with the revelation. وَلَقَدْ بَعَثْنَا فِي كُلِّ أُمَّةٍ رَسُولًا أَنِ اعْبُدُوا اللَّهَ وَاشْتَنِبُوا الطَّاغُوتِ That indeed we sent to every nation a messenger preaching to them, أَنِ اعْبُدُوا اللَّهَ Worship Allah alone upon Tawheed وَاجْتَنِبُوا الطَّاغُوتِ And stay away from the false deities, all of the false gods, all of that which they worship besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Every prophet and messenger called to that same call, يَا قَوْمِ عِبُدُ اللَّهِ مَا لَكُمْ مِنْ إِلَٰهٍ غَيْرُهُ They would say to their people, O oh people, worship Allah. You do not have any deity to worship besides Him. So that is the religion of Tawheed, to single out Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in His rububiyyah, in His uluhiyyah, in the al-asma' wa-sifat. And that is the religion that Allah sent all of the messengers with. فَأَوَّلُهُمْ And the first of them, the first of them was Nuh alayhi salam. أَرْسَلَهُ اللَّهُ إِلَىٰ قَوْمِهِ لَمَّا غَلَوْا فِي الصَّالِحِينَ The first of the messengers was Nuh alayhi salam. Allah sent him when the people exaggerated in their righteous. And we know that story. That when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created Adam alayhi salam, the first being when Allah created Adam alayhi salam, He created him upon the natural disposition, the default. And the default is that we are upon Tawheed. Not like the people of innovation claim that Adam was created upon confusion. And he needed to investigate and research and work out that he needs to worship Allah. No. He was created upon Tawheed as the default. And that continued the children of Adam and their children and their children for 10 generations. They continued upon that way of Tawheed. Then 10 generations later, and as some of the scholars have said, approximately a thousand years as one Qarn typically indicates a hundred years. Then a thousand years later or thereabouts, ten generations later, there were righteous people amongst that generation. And when those righteous people passed away, everybody else was greatly saddened. They were greatly saddened in loss and sorrow for these great people and righteous people who had died. 
And so the shaitan saw an opportunity. He saw an opportunity because when mankind is in that emotional state, then he does not control his speech and actions. So shaitan saw an opportunity and he slowly began taking them to the graves of those righteous people. And then after that made them make statues of those righteous people until eventually when those people died and the next ones came, as it mentions in Al-Bukhari, when those generation of people died and knowledge was forgotten, meaning the knowledge of Tawheed, from all of those generations, they had forgotten about these affairs and forgotten about what these idols were. Then the shaitan whispered to them to begin worshipping the idols. And so shirk occurred. And that's when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent Nuh alayhi salam to warn them against that shirk and to bring them back to Tawheed. And they are mentioned Wad and Suwa' and Yaguth and Ya'uq and Nasr. وَآخِرُ الرُّسُلُ Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and the last of all of the messengers was Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam the seal of all of the prophets no prophet or messenger after him no prophet or messenger after the prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam only Isa alayhi salam who is a previous messenger returns at the end of time but there is no new prophet or messenger no new revelation even when Isa alayhi salam returns at the end of time that is not considered a new prophet he will follow the sharia of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam so the prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam is the seal of the prophets and messengers the final prophet and messenger. And he is the one الَّذِي كَسَّرَ سُوَرَ هَؤُلَاءِ الصَّالِحِينَ He is the one who smashed those idols at the time of the generation of Nuh السلام, when shaitan had convinced those people to make idols of the righteous ones. Those idols when the floods came, those idols were taken away by the waters and they were drowned and sunk under the sand to modern day beaches of Jeddah. Where Jeddah is in Saudi Arabia now, on the beaches there to that location, that's where those idols they buried into the ground after the floods went. Then years later, towards the time of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, an individual by the name of Amr ibn Nuhay al-Khuza'i, he was influenced by the mushrikun of the areas of Sham, Syria, Jordan, those areas, there were mushrikun there worshipping idols, and he became influenced by what he saw. And shaitan whispered to him to go to the location which is Jeddah these days known as, and he dug up, dug up those idols from the time of Nuh 
the same ones. And he brought them back and placed them in the Kaaba in Mecca. And they remained once again to be worshipped. Idols that were there from the time of the first messenger were still being worshipped at the time of the last messenger. As Shaykh Al-Fawzan, Hafizahullah Ta'ala mentioned, this is the long-lasting impact of shirk. Idols from the time of Nuh and they are being worshipped at the time of Muhammad And then upon the conquering of Mecca, when the Muslims returned, and they conquered Mecca in the eighth year of Hijrah, Fathu Mecca, then upon that conquering the Prophet when he entered, and there were hundreds of idols in and around and above the Kaaba, that he came with his spear and he destroyed all of those idols. Truth has come and falsehood disappears. That's when those idols were then destroyed by the Prophet However, the Shaykh, he highlights and clarifies the reality of shirk. It is not just that a person says, if you prostrate to a grave, that is shirk. Yes, but there is much more to it than that. أَرْسَلَهُ اللَّهُ إِلَىٰ أُنَاسٍ يَتَعَبَّدُونَ وَيَحُجُّونَ وَيَتَصَدَّقُونَ وَيَذْكُرُونَ اللَّهَ كَثِيرًا Quraysh, the mushrikun, at the time of the Prophet Muhammad وسلم, they used to worship. They used to worship Allah. And they used to do hajj. Of course, in a different way. And upon a way of shirk and in nakedness and other affairs. But they used to do hajj. And they used to give in charity. And they used to uh, keep the ties of kinship. They used to do all of these things. These kinds of virtues which are from the virtues of Islam. They used to be doing them. Hajj even upon their way of distortion. Charity, other worship. And they used to claim to love Allah. All of those things, and yet they were still mushrikun. They were still disbelievers because لَكِنَّهُمْ يَجْعَلُونَ بَعْضَ الْمَخْلُوقَاتِ وَسَائِطَ بَيْنَهُمْ وَبَيْنَ اللَّهِ Because they would make some from amongst the creation as intermediaries between themselves and Allah. As intermediaries between themselves and Allah. And they would say, These are our intercessors with Allah. We do not worship them except because they bring us closer to Allah. This is what they used to claim. Going to their idols and going to their rocks and their trees and their stones and all of the different things, calling upon them, sacrificing to them, bowing to them, believing that this would bring them closeness to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that was where their shirk occurred. And they would say, نُرِيدُ مِنْهُمْ التَّقَرُّبَ إِلَى اللَّهِ وَنُرِيدُ شَفَاعَتَهُمْ عِنْدَهِ مِثْلُ الْمَلَائِكَةِ وَعِيسَى وَمَرْيَمَ أُنَاسَ غَيْرُهُمْ مِنَ الصَّالِحِينَ 
So they would call upon the angels and Isa alayhi salam, Jesus, and his mother Maryam, and other people from the righteous ones. They would call upon all of these others, saying that we are only doing that because they will bring us closer to Allah. فَبَعَثَ اللَّهُ مُحَمَّدًا صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ يُجَدِّدُ لَهُمْ دِينَ أَبِيهِمْ إِبْرَاهِيمِ عَلَيْهِ السلام. So then, when that was the state amongst the Quraysh of the time, that was the state of the Arabs at the time, then Allah sent Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam to revive the religion of Ibrahim alayhi salam. They still had remnants of the religion of Ibrahim alayhi salam. So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam was sent to revive that Tawheed from Ibrahim alayhi salam, Abu al-Anbiya. وَيُخْبِرُهُمْ أَنَّ هَذَا التَّقَرُّبَ وَالْإِعْتِقَادِ مَحْضُ حَقِّ اللَّهِ And to inform them that seeking closeness and this type of belief, it is only for Allah. You seek that closeness to Allah, not via the dead and the graves and the stones and the trees. You make your dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, supplicate to Him alone, not supplicating to the deceased or to the trees or to the angels or the stars or anything in creation. Rather you call upon Allah. Ad-du'a huwa al-ibadah. The du'a, it is the worship. Indicating in that hadith, the high level and status of supplicating and making du'a to Allah alone. وَإِذَا سَأَلَكَ عِبَادِي عَنِّي فَإِنِّي قَرِيبٌ أُجِيبُ دَعْوَةَ الدَّاعِي إِذَا دَعَانِ And if they ask you about me, then tell them I am close. Allah is close. And I answer the dua of the one who calls upon me. I answer the supplication of the one who calls upon me. So the Prophet ﷺ was sent to clarify to them that their actions and their beliefs they were actions and beliefs of shirk in calling upon and supplicating to these others besides Allah. وَإِلَّا فَهَاؤُلَاءِ الْمُشْرِكُونَ يَشْهَدُونَ أَنَّ اللَّهَ هُوَ الْخَالِقُ وَحْدَهُ لَا شَرِيكَ لَهُ Otherwise, those mushrikun, they testified or they acknowledged that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He is the Creator alone. Without no any partners, وَأَنَّهُ لَا يَرْزُقُ إِلَّاهُ And that nobody provides for them, sustains them except He, except Allah. وَلَا يُحْيِي وَلَا يُمِيتْ إِلَّا اللَّهِ And that nobody gives life or death except Allah. وَلَا يُدَبِّرُ الْأَمْرَ إِلَّاهُ And nobody controls the affairs of this world and what happens except him. They accepted and acknowledged all of that. وَأَنَّ جَمِيعَ السَّمَاوَاتِ السَّبْعِ وَمَنْ فِيهِنَّ وَالْأَرَضِينَ السَّبْعِ وَمَنْ فِيهِنَّ كُلُّهُمْ عَبِيدُهُ وَتَحْتَ تَصَرُّفِهِ وَقَهْهِ And they acknowledged that all of the seven heavens and everything within them and the seven earths and everything within them all of them are the servants of Allah and under His control 
and under his manipulation or control and as Allah does with the decree with them. فَإِذَا أَرَدْتَ الدَّلِيلَ عَلَىٰ أَنَّ هَؤُلَاءِ الْمُشْرِكِينَ الَّذِينَ قَاتَلَهُمْ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَىٰهِ وَسَلَّمْ يَشْهَدُونَ بِهَذَا فَاقْرَأْ قَوْلَهُ تَعَالَىٰ قُلْ مَنْ يَرْزُقُكُمْ مِنَ السَّمَاءِ وَالْأَرْضِ أَمَّنْ يَمْلِكُ السَّمَاءَ وَالْأَبْصَارَ وَمَنْ يُخْرِجُ الْحَيَّ مِنَ الْمَيِّتِ وَيُخْرِجُ الْمَيِّتَ مِنَ الْحَيِّ وَمَنْ يُدَبِّرُ الْأَمْرَ فَسَيَقُولُونَ اللَّهِ فَقُلَ فَلَا تَتَّقُونَ If you want to know the evidence that the mushrikun accepted the rububiyyah of Allah, they accepted Allah is the creator and the provider and the one who gives life and death, then read in the Qur'an where Allah has told us that, that if you were to say to them, who provides for you from the heavens and the earth? Uh, or who is it that controls your hearing and seeing? Or who is it that brings out the life from the dead and the dead from the living? And who is it that controls all of the affairs? They would say, the mushrikun would say, فَسَيَقُولُونَ Allah. They would say, Allah. Allah does that. So how were they still mushrikun if they believed in all of that? Because even though they believed in all of that, they still made part of their worship to others besides Allah. And that is the key. Tawheed is not just in ar-rububiyyah. Believing in Allah's Lordship, that Allah is the Creator, the Provider, the Sustainer. But Tawheed is to single out your actions and your worship in every form to Allah alone. Not to the Mawlana, they say go to him and wipe him and throw some money and make dua. Not to the dead in the graves, go and sacrifice there and he'll get your dua answered. Not in this way. Not upon this way, not even at the grave of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Not upon this way, but upon the way of calling upon Allah alone. And that is what distinguishes this da'wah, this religion from all else. This is the religion of monotheism, the religion of tawheed. It is not about anybody else. We do not even worship the Prophet Muhammad, not at all. The Prophet Muhammad himself told us it is not allowed for us to do so. Many narrations, لا تتخذوا قبري عيدا Do not take my grave as a place of worship, as a place of regular visitation and worship that arises from that. Many narrations, لا تطروني كما أطرت النصارى عيسى بن مريم. Do not raise me as the Christians they raised Jesus. To the level that they began saying, Jesus who is a prophet and a messenger. And from the five top prophets and messengers in Islam. But they began to say, he's more than a prophet and messenger. He is God himself. Or a part of God himself. And that is incorrect. And the Prophet said, do not do that. Do not say that about me. Do not raise me as they raised Isa alayhi salam like that. So, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam clarified to them the reality of Tawheed. And he fought them upon that.
until Tawheed was the banner that was raised. And he mentioned as the ayat in the Quran, they state, وَأَنَّ الْمَسَاجِدَ لِلَّهِ فَلَا تَدْعُوا مَعَ اللَّهِ أَحَدًا That indeed the masajid are for Allah. So do not call upon others alongside Allah. The masajid, these mosques, they are for Allah. Do not commit shirk in them by calling upon others or having your dependence and trust upon others, your hearts connected to others, rather connect it to Allah alone. And the masajid, your physical prostrations that you do with your limbs, then make those prostrations purely and sincerely for Allah alone. Bow to no one except your Lord. Prostrate to no one except Allah. And then he mentions that if you understand all of these affairs, عَرَفْتَ حِينَ إِذِنْ أَتَّوْحِيدَ الَّذِي دَعَتْ إِلَيْهِ الرُّسُلُ وَأَبَى عَنِ الْإِقْرَارِ بِهِ الْمُشْرِكُونَ If you now recognize what's going on here, you will understand the reality of the Tawheed that the messengers were calling to and that the Mushrikun were rejecting. The Mushrikun, were they rejecting that Allah is the creator or that Allah is the provider or that Allah is the one who sends the rain or that Allah is the one who gives life and death? Were they rejecting any of that? No. So then what was the issue? They were rejecting that they needed to purify all of their worship sincerely to Allah alone. They wanted to accept Allah is the creator, the provider, the giver of life and death, and they worshipped Him. But at the same time, they did not want to stop worshipping their other deities who they knew were not the creator, were not the provider, were not the sustainer, were not the ones that give life and death, yet they wanted to insist on continuing worshipping them. And that of course makes no sense. If you believe only Allah is the creator, provider, giver of life and death, then He should be the only one that you worship. How can you worship others who you know are not the providers or creators or sustainers? And yet that's what they did. When the Prophet ﷺ said to them, قُولُوا لَا إِلَٰهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ تُفْلِحُوا Say, لَا إِلَٰهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ And you will be successful. They knew the Arabs at that time with their level of Arabic and strength in it, knew exactly what was being intended. They knew exactly what it would mean if they said, La ilaha illallah. They knew that meant that you have to single out your worship purely to Allah alone. That there is no deity worthy of worship in truth except Allah. They knew that. They knew that's what it meant if they said, La ilaha illallah. So they didn't want to say it. Because they didn't want to have to abandon all of their other gods and deities. So they said, أَجَعَلَ الْآلِهَةَ إِلَهٌ وَاحِدًا إِنَّ هَذَا لَشَيْءٌ عُجَابٌ 
Is he wanting to make all of our gods into just one? That's something strange. That they would not accept. They wanted to continue upon worship of others besides Allah. Hence Allah mentioned in the Quran, وَمِنَ النَّاسِ مَنْ يَتَّخِذُ مِن دُونِ اللَّهِ أَنْدَادًا يُحِبُّونَهُمْ كَحُبِّ اللَّهِ There are those who take partners alongside Allah, and they love them as they love Allah. They worship Allah and they believe and accept the rububiyyah, but at the same time they love these others besides Allah. And they split their love between Allah and these other false deities and gods of theirs. And that's where their shirk is. And that's why the Prophet ﷺ fought against them to establish tawheed and to remove that shirk. And so this highlights to us that tawheed, it is not simply a statement. It is not simply just to say la ilaha illallah. If it was just to say la ilaha illallah, without any meaning behind it, or any action required after it, then the mushrikun would have just said it, when the Prophet told them to say it. But they knew that it's not just about saying it, there is the action that comes with it. You have to then abandon all the other deities. And this is why it's so important to learn these types of books, to learn these ayat and these hadith and these principles, because how many from amongst the Muslims, from amongst our communities, they fall into errors of this nature, and they are told by their imams, such and such a great imam of ours, call upon his name, or go to his grave, and make a dua to him, or sacrifice for him, and your dua will be answered. Oh, such and such a great imam is alive now, go to him. He will wipe on you, he will do this and that, and your dua will be answered. So many from amongst the people fall into these affairs. Hence the importance of learning the da'wah of the prophets and the messengers. فَإِذَا عَرَفْتَ أَنَّ جُهَّالَ الْكُفَّارِ يَعْرِفُونَ ذَلِكَ فَالْعَجَبُ مِمَّنْ يَدَّعِ الْإِسْلَامِ وَهُوَ لَا يَعْرِفُ مِنْ تَفْسِيرِ هَذِهِ الْكَلِمَةِ مَا عَرَفَهُ جُهَّالُ الْكُفَّارِ How amazing it is, the Shaykh says, that the juhal of the kuffar knew the reality of what needed to be done with La ilaha illallah, and yet the claimants from Islam of knowledge, they do not even know what this is. And the ignorant ones, from the juhal of the kuffar even recognized and understood what the singling out of Allah meant and what was required of them. So if you know these things, the shaykh had mentioned, afadaka fa'idatain. You benefit two benefits. The first of them, al-farahu bifadlillahi wa birahmatih. If you understand this Tawheed, and that Allah has guided you to this Tawheed, then you are given an element of joy. Joy at the virtue and the mercy of Allah, that you have been guided to that Tawheed, that you have been guided to that truth, 
that you have been guided to worshiping Allah alone and not any form of partners or son or daughter or whatever the people of the world have made up, then you have a great joy, a great joy and happiness that Allah gave you this tawheed. And you constantly therefore make dua that Allah maintains you upon that tawheed just as the Prophet wasallam used to do, constantly making dua that Allah keeps him firm upon the tawheed. Ya muqallib al-qulubi thabbit qalbi ala deenik. Oh Allah, the one who changes the hearts of the people, keep my heart firm upon your religion. Keep it firm and upright upon the religion. And Abu Al-Anbiya Ibrahim alayhi salam, likewise making that dua, asking Allah to protect him and his offspring from ever falling into the worship of the idols. He mentioned, oh Allah, these idols have misguided many of the people. They have misguided many of the people into that shirk. And he sought protection from Allah. The Salaf, they said, if the likes of Ibrahim salam, Abraham, if the likes of Abraham, the second highest messenger in Islam, after the Prophet Muhammad وسلم, if Ibrahim salam, was asking Allah for protection and safety from shirk, then who are you and me? Who are the likes of you and me? If Ibrahim feared this and was asking Allah for safety and protection from falling into those affairs of shirk. This is the severity of the affair. Secondly also, or in that same point, you also then get a recognition of fear on the other side. The fear of that shirk can ever falling into it. Knowing how dangerous it can be that a person who falls into shirk and dies upon that shirk, that the individual will not be forgiven in the afterlife. Inna Allah la yaghfiru an وَيَغْفِرُ مَا دُونَ ذَلِكَ لِمَنْ يَشَاءُ That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not forgive that you commit shirk alongside him, but he forgives all else to whom he wills. Shirk is the sin that cannot be forgiven. When the Prophet ﷺ said, اِجْتَنِبُوا سَبْعَ الْمُبِقَاتِ Stay away from the seven destructive sins, the seven sins that will destroy you. At the head of them, ashirku billah, associating partners alongside Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Hence in the Quran, we see it so much in so many places where Allah tells us to worship Him alone and not associate any partners. Worship Allah alone. And do not associate partners with him. And also, when you look at the examples of the people of the past, 
then it gives you that recognition of the great virtue of Allah upon you to have guided you to Tawheed and your fear of falling into shirk. When you see the examples of people of the past, like the example of Banu Israel, when they were with Musa alayhi salam, and Allah saved them from Fir'aun, when Pharaoh was slaughtering their baby boys, slaughtering their baby boys and allowing the baby girls to live because news had come to Pharaoh that a boy from amongst them will rise up and be the destruction of you. He will destroy you. So he sent his guards to go and investigate everywhere. Any pregnant woman they found, they would guard her house. As soon as she gave birth, they would check, is it a boy, is it a girl? If it was a boy, they would slaughter the boys. But we know of the story, Musa alayhi salam, Allah saved him and he was raised up in the household of Pharaoh and he gave da'wah to Pharaoh, but Pharaoh refused. And so in the end, Allah commanded Musa to leave with the believers. And when they were leaving, they came to the Red Sea, mountains either side, the Red Sea in front of them, the only other passage behind them. When they arrived at the Red Sea, mountains either side impossible to cross, the Red Sea in front of them, no boats, nothing to cross. And they looked back and the army of Pharaoh approaching. So they said, Inna la mudrakun. That's it, we've been caught. But Musa alayhi salam told them to maintain their trust in Allah. And so we know the story of the sea splitting and Musa Moses, along with the believers, they crossed over and then Pharaoh was drowned therein. When they crossed over and they traversed upon the land, they came across a people worshipping different affairs. And so Banu Israel said to Musa, اِجْعَلْ لَنَا إِلَهًا كَمَا لَهُمْ آلِهَا Make for us gods as they have gods, multiple gods. So Musa said to them, إِنَّكُمْ قَوْمٌ تَجْهَلُونَ Indeed, you are a people who are ignorant yet. Just as the Prophet said to those new Muslims in the hadith of Abu Waqid in Al-Layfi, when they went to the battle of Hunayn and they saw the kuffar used to think that they were getting blessings from certain trees. So they would put their swords on those trees and their shields on those trees and they would sit at the bottom, believing there is barakah and blessing going into their weapons. So they said, these new Muslims, brand new to Islam, just became Muslim in the conquering of Mecca. And then they went to Hunayn with the messenger. They said, Make for us a tree to hang our weapons just as they have one. Maybe we can seek barakah too. So the Prophet said to them, Allahu Akbar, inna sunan. Qultum walladhi nafsi biyadih, kama qala banu Israel Musa alayhi salam, ij'alana ilahan kama lahum aliha, qala innahum qawmun tajahalun. He said to them, Allahu Akbar, it is the path of the people. They follow the footsteps of those who came before, follow the footsteps blindly into this way and that way into the ways of shirk, into the ways of misguidance. And you have said as the people said to Musa alayhi salam, make for us gods as they have gods. 
And he told them, you are ignorant. So the Prophet ﷺ explained to them, this is not the way. We do not take barakah from trees. We do not seek blessings from objects like that. And rather, the barakah, the blessings, it is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the shaykh had also highlighted, قَدْ يَكُونُ لِأَعْدَاءِ التَّوْحِيدِ عُلُومٌ كَثِيرًا وَكُتُبٌ وَحُجَجٌ That the enemies of Islam, of Tawheed, they may have many different types of knowledge. Many different types of knowledge that they may come to you with, many different books that they may bring to you, many different doubts, shubahun, and evidences that they may bring to you. And even if that be the case, they bring these affairs to you and these evidences to you, then know that all of the prophets and messengers had enemies. All of the prophets and messengers had enemies who fought against them. And that's why the scholars always mention this path is a difficult path. It is not an easy path to tread upon. It is not a world of luxury for the believer. It is like a prison for the disbeliever. It is the luxury. But in the afterlife will be the luxury for the believers. And in this world may be the difficulty and the hardship. So all the prophets and messengers, they had enemies. And that is not something to be surprised about. Throughout history, the kuffar, the enemies, the mushrikun, have fought against the prophets and messengers. They have fought against tawheed. They have fought against monotheism, Islam, throughout history. And they have done it worse and worse in different events in history. If you look at the seerah of the Prophet wasallam. And the level of severity that the mushrikun placed upon the believers at that time, you would think certainly you are in a great, great blessing of this time. You would think certainly you are in a great blessing right now compared to what the prophets and the messengers faced, what Musa salam faced, what Ibrahim salam faced from his people. They built a fire so large to burn him in, they couldn't even escort him up to the fire to throw him in. It was so large, so fierce, so hot, they had to catapult him in from a distance. And these stories, they continue of the prophets and the messengers. The most tested of the people are the prophets and messengers. Then those most like them and most like them. The more you cling on to the religion and practice, the more you may be given tests and trials to raise your rank with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So it is no surprise that you see affairs occurring in history and in our time where there may be difficulties and hardships and tests and trials of different natures. And that is the way and it has always been the way and there is nothing new. It is something that has always occurred. So the prophets and messengers have always had enemies against them, enemies against Tawheed, 
enemies against this da'wah. So the path is long and the path requires patience. And that's why in the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala informed us, وَالْعَصْرِ إِنَّ الْإِنسَانَ لَفِي خُصْرِ إِلَّا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَعَمِلُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ وَتَوَاسَوْ بِالْحَقِّ وَتَوَاسَوْ بِالصَّبْرِ That indeed mankind is in loss. And Allah didn't just say mankind is in loss. Allah said that to us with three levels of emphasis. إِنَّ وَالْعَصَرِ An oath. وَالْعَصَرِ إِنَّ Emphasis. إِنَّ الْإِنسَانَ لَا فِي خُسَرِ Lamut Tawkeed as well. Three emphasis. Indeed, indeed, indeed. Mankind is in loss. Except for those who have Iman, knowledge, understanding of Tawheed. That's Iman. إِلَّا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا Meaning they had knowledge of the religion of Tawheed. وَعَمِلُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ And they do the righteous actions. وَتَوَاسَوْ بِالْحَقِّ وَتَوَاسَوْ بِالصَّبْرِ And they enjoin upon one another and counsel each other upon the truth, enjoin the good and forbid the evil, and enjoin and counsel patience. The scholars have said that this final point mentioned in that surah underpins, it is the foundation of the first three points. Without patience, you cannot have that iman. You will not seek the knowledge, you will become tired of it, tedious for you, and you abandon it. Without patience, the iman becomes difficult. Without patience, amilu salihat, doing the righteous actions becomes difficult. Without iman, awakening for the fajr, I'm praying the Isha late. Without Iman, Zakat and Hajj and all of the affairs, they become difficult upon a person. Without that patience upon the worship rather. And enjoining the good and forbidding the evil. Without patience, once again, a person will buckle. So all those three, Iman and actions and enjoining the good and forbidding the evil, all of those things occur via the fourth one, patience. Without that patience, the other three become difficult. So here, we know that the prophets and messengers had enemies from the people of shirk who fought against them during their times, and that is something which continues to occur. That up to this point is the first half of the or the majority of the introduction to Kashfa Shubuhat. So for those who attended previously, there should have been technically nothing new for you there. Should have known all of that. We've done everything we talked about tonight in detail in those first five or six lectures. We've summarized all of that into this small one today as a refresher for what Kashfa Shubuhat is, to refresh the memory and the minds regarding what we are talking about in this book, this affair of Tawheed, the affair of Shirk, 
the affair of the prophets and messengers coming with that tawheed and the enemies being against them and the affair of all of these doubts that people make against tawheed against the people of the sunnah claiming that you people you declare everybody as misguided you say everybody is a mubtadi' you say everybody is a mushrik no not at all Ahlu Sunnah are the most merciful of the people and they desire the goodness for the people and they love that everybody should become guided they love that the people have that guidance because we know as per the hadith la yu'minu ahadukum hatta yuhibba li akhihi ma yuhibbu li None of you truly believes your iman will not be complete until you love for your brother what you love for yourself. What is the greatest thing that you love? Guidance. That Allah guided you to Islam and Tawheed and Sunnah. Because that will be the means by the mercy of Allah for you to enter paradise. Certainly you love that for yourself. So you love that for your brothers. You love that for the believers. You love that the people should be upon that guidance as Allah guided you. This is what Ahlul Sunnah are upon. This is what Ahlul Sunnah they call to. And this is what Ahlul Sunnah should be like and behave like and the etiquette be upon. So that is a brief summary. There is another section that I intended to go through. Uh, which was the opening section of the doubts and the general responses to those doubts. But instead, everybody this week revise that section, which is approximately in your books if you have them from page 70 or so, or 60, page 60 to where we got up to, which was page 112. So you have approximately 50, 60 pages to revise this week. We've covered them all. We got up to a page 112 in this version. What we've done tonight is the opening introduction to Kashf al-Shubuhat. The next section, the next 50 pages was into the doubts. General answer first and then more detailed into some of them. Revise those yourselves. And we'll pick up from where we left off from the next lesson, from page 112. We'll carry on from that point, moving onwards, insha'Allah ta'ala. So that is where we'll round off this opening session, the first one in approximately seven months for this class. And we'll conclude upon that. If there are any questions or observations or anything anyone needs to add, then you have time to do so now. Um, we know we're going through my notes on uh, the fifth doubt. Um, the Sheikh says regarding that intercession is for Allah. Uh, so I say, Allah, do not deprive me of his intercession, really the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Allah, let him intercede on my behalf and whatever is similar to this. And then in doubt number six, it says, um, if you. Seek Did, uh, upon we, Allah, we, we, we covered all of these before? Yeah. Up to 112? Okay. Um, so if you call upon Allah to request that he permit his prophet to intercede on your behalf, then uh, obey him when he said, 
so do not involve anyone along with Allah. Mm -hmm. So how do you reconcile both points? Where, the, what needs reconciliation? Well, in the fifth doubt, uh, it's saying, um, yeah, asking Allah, don't deprive me of the Prophet's intercession. But On the Day of Judgment? Alright, so it's just not referring to like generally. The intercession of the Prophet sallallahu is on Yawm Al-Qiyamah. That on the Day of Judgment, the Prophet sallallahu will intercede for the believers. The Prophet sallallahu will intercede for the believers. When you're seeking that, you're seeking the intercession of the Prophet sallallahu on Yawm Al-Qiyamah. It is not in reference to going now to his grave and seeking intercession. But would you make that du'a like now whilst you're alive? Or is that like a du'a you'd make? It can be made because the intent of the du'a is not now. The intent of the du'a is Yawm Al-Qiyamah. That is when you are seeking that intercession, not now. Because all the other evidences, maybe we mentioned it here or in other books, to understand the sunnah, you must compile all of it to understand it together. So this narration now talking about intercession of the Prophet. But we're saying in some other narrations and uh, evidences, you can't do that. But when you combine it, we understand on Yawmul Qiyamah, there is intercession of the Prophet. And there are multiple different types of intercession on Yawm Al-Qiyamah. The believers will intercede on Yawm Al-Qiyamah. The children will intercede on Yawm Al-Qiyamah. The angels will intercede on Yawm Al-Qiyamah. So that is in reference to that, not intercession now from the dead or the graves of the prophets. The seven sins, who can list the seven sins? Uh, in fact, the seven sins does not mean that it is only those seven major sins. Islamically, there are many sins that are considered as major sins. But there's one particular narration, one particular statement, where the Prophet had mentioned seven specifically. The seven specifically mentioned were shirk, of course, and sihr, magic. Magic is impermissible to engage and delve into magic. Riba, interest, taking interest on finance and money. Zina, fornication. Killing without right, murder. Taking the wealth of an orphan. One left. Fleeing the battlefield. And in some other narrations, there's a different one mentioned too. False witness on the chaste woman will put them together. So the uh, uh, falsely testifying upon a chaste woman, these kinds of things are all mentioned about uh, the sins and the major sins. But there are many. There are books scholars have written about the major sins. Hmm. Anybody else? No, Adam alayhi salam. When Allah created Adam alayhi salam, when Allah created mankind, originally we were created knowing Tawheed, knowing that we have to worship our Creator. As like Ibrahim alayhi salam, he was like, he had no source for um, knowing about Allah because his, his parents um, were not, uh, didn't practice Islam. So how would he know um, about like Allah? 
the time of Ibrahim alayhi salam in Babel, Iraq, all of the people at that time, the scholars say, were upon shirk. It was widespread shirk. There were no believers. The prophets and messengers, though we know, they never fall into shirk. The prophets and messengers do not fall into those major sins. And they are guided by inspiration and revelation from Allah. Even the Prophet Muhammad before he was given the Qur'an, before Jibreel came to him, he never committed shirk. He was still upon the natural understanding of worshipping Allah from the religion of Ibrahim salam. He used to go to the cave, to Hira, to remember Allah and to worship Allah, even before the revelation came to him. So the prophets and messengers, they are inspired and guided by Allah and given that revelation. Anyone else? In that case, we'll conclude upon that. And insha'Allah ta'ala, next week we'll resume from where we left off then properly. Today was a, a nice, easy loosener. Just to get the oil in the, in the cogs again. Nice, easy. That was very simple today. Nothing. Next week we'll do it properly. The proper lesson from the next section. Go through the evidences, the ayat, the proofs from where we left off. Next week, 8 p.m. insha'Allah ta'ala. Wa sallallahu ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam.